All right, we're live. All right, this is another episode of Monero Talk. It's just me today, no Brian. I think he uh, was trying to read some of your papers last night, and uh, he, he wasn't able to keep up. Finally did him in. <laughs> Finally did him in. Some deep stuff. I was trying to take a little bit of a deep dive there. Um, my background, uh, I'm an engineer. I have an engineering okay. background and an attorney, and uh, it's a little, a little hard to follow. You're, you're on another level. But as an attorney, um, as an attorney, you're probably used to reading very dry, complex documents, though, right? Yeah, I used to. Uh, yeah. I'm a patent attorney by trade, um, so yeah, it's definitely something I'm capable of doing. Uh, but once you get into the math, there's definitely some higher level stuff there, which is very interesting. Which 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 leads me into uh, my my initial thought on all of this, which is how important the uh, the Monero Research Lab is, and uh, people like you. Uh, as being part of the community, um, mostly because I think at the end of the day, all the all these coins, these cryptocurrencies, it's about um, establishing trust in this new digital asset that we've invented using the blockchain, whether it's Bitcoin or Monero. And at the end of the day, to to be able to trust in that, you need to trust in the math that's behind it. And I really think that's kind of like what supports uh, at at the core level. Uh, that's where the trust lies. So that seems to be the level that you're that you're at is people looking to you to uh, kind of trust in the math that's behind the code. Yeah, so. I mean, it's this is an interesting space, right? I mean, like you said, a lot of it gets very complex very fast. So there's certainly an element of trust, right? And that anyone who's using these projects is is probably not you know, willing to put in the time and effort to go and to do a deep dive into all the math and the technology behind it. So there is an element of trust in people doing it. But at the same time, you know, the whole point of a distributed asset is supposed to be that you don't have to trust anybody. So we're in kind of this weird nexus, right? Especially Monero, which tries really hard to be centralized, decentralized, I should say, um, and really pushes the fact that like, you know, you don't have to trust anyone, you can trust the code, trust the math. Um, but you're right. At the same time, from a practical standpoint, you know. Yeah, are, yeah. I'm not. There, I'm not, there, I'm not it's, no, no, no. Uh, it's just, it's just. I always, I always like to kind of opine on the idea that you know, it's like we're the ones you're supposed to trust in a system where right. you're not supposed to trust anybody. Right. Yeah. No. Nobody right. should trust you. Don't trust this guy. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, what what we do trust is you know the the other people that then look at your papers, right, and then then vet them and audit them. And uh, th there's really no no trust needed there. It's everybody kind of agreeing scientifically and mathematically that you know two plus two equals four at the end of the day. Right. So. I think I think the best part about math is like it's one of the only fields where someone can tell you something and you can say, oh yeah, prove it, and then they'll sit down and prove it for you. And if they don't, then you know it's it's not good math. Exactly. So I guess I wanted to. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little presumptuous here, but my my hope was that. Uh, you know, first of all, thank you for coming on this show. Yeah. And my hope was that maybe, you know, we'll, we'll see how this goes, but I would love to make this kind of a, a, a thing where you come on once a month. Cause I know you, I've, I've always read your Reddit post and it'd be just great to kind of put a, a, put a face to it and we could quickly go over your, your monthly update. But for this show, I'd want to, maybe if we could just do a little background first, just before we jump into it. Mm -hmm. So I guess, uh, I guess the first thing would be, you know, I was reading your initial pitch to the community about a year ago, mm -hmm. which was which was really cool, and that kind of told the story. But maybe if you want to kind of take us back down memory lane and how you got into oh, Monero man. and how it all started. Yeah, so I was in grad school and I was studying, you know, some pretty pure math. 
Um, I would say it was kind of a subfield of math that a lot of mathematicians think is boring. And if mathematicians think your math is boring, then, you know, your math is probably pretty boring. And I admit that, you know, a lot of pure math is. Um, and during that time, um, my lab partner, um, Suray, or Brandon, as he's now come to be known more, you know, more legitimately, um, he, um, he and I were actually in grad school together. And we started doing some part-time work because before the Monero Research Lab was a thing, um, doing a bit of review and some analysis and things like that. Um, and that went really well. And that really kind of kind of got me interested in Monero. You know, I'd been interested in cryptography, you know, for a lot, you know, a lot longer, you know, before that time. Um, and had done teaching in that realm and things like that. Um, but then kind of diving into Monero was really kind of this, this introduction to a space that I knew about, but, you know, I wasn't as familiar with what Monero was bringing to the table. Why, so, uh, but, why Monero? Was it, was that your start Monero? Was it Bitcoin or? Oh, so, you know, so I, I was familiar with Bitcoin and, you know, how, how all of that worked. Um, I mean, you know, the Monero team was specifically looking for people, looking for mathematicians to do some review on that. So, you know, it was, it was kind of serendipity that it worked out that way because it turned out that I, you know, really, I really appreciated what the project was about, what it was for, what its ideology was compared to some of the other projects and what it was hoping to offer. Um, and then, you know, after that kind of, kind of part-time work kind of, kind of settled out for a bit, you know, finished grad school, finished PhD, and then thought, you know, what to do now. Um, and at that point, the research lab was kind of starting to become more established as, you know, a, um, kind of more formalized arena for a lot more long-term research into Monero's safety and security and kind of longevity. So at that point, I thought, absolutely, you know, this is, this is, this is a good place to get in. You know, this is, this project is the coolest thing I know about right now, you know, and there's a lot of really interesting problems to solve in it. So why not dive in and solve those with some other really talented people? So and that's you, where we are today. Are you approaching it just as a, you know, a mathematician and a researcher that's interested in the technology, or do you also believe in kind of the philosophical and social elements that come along with, you know, Monero or Bitcoin? And, and is it, is Monero your preferred coin in, in those terms as well, or you're just kind of looking at all this from a research standpoint? So I think from a research standpoint, it's one of the most fascinating ones because we have some, I think, because I think our ideology puts some limitations on what we can do technologically. And, you know, I, I completely agree that, you know, people should in general have choice in the amount of privacy they want and that privacy should be easy to do, which in a lot of other projects, it's not necessarily easy to do. And to be fair, you know, from the start, Monero gave you the option to not be as private as, as you probably should be anyway. Um, but I mean, we've come a long way since then. Um, so I think from that perspective, you know, absolutely. I think what we stand for ideologically about being, you know, supported, run, developed, researched by the community and trying to be as decentralized as possible in almost every way. I think that that is unique and a really big part about what makes the project what it is. Um, but kind of going back to technologically, I think it also offers its own interesting it's interesting avenues of research. You know, you take something I like I like looking at kind of Zcash as another way of doing privacy really well. So they have some really excellent technology. They have a lot of great research that comes out of Zcash. Um, but, you know, they were able to kind of start from, you know, here is a company that does that, you know, runs the development of this, of this project. And the code's all open source, you know, so there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but because of that, they kind of imply a certain element of trust in that company, in that group. Um, and of course, their, their trusted setup, which was necessary to kind of bootstrap the ZK snark math that they do. And they've recently redone that in a bit broader sense, you know, that does imply a level of trust, but it also allows them to do some things that Monero just can't do in terms of anonymity sets, in terms of some things involving speed and time scaling. Um, so the fact that we do all of our math in a very non-trusted way 
implies some trade-offs, right? You know, people love to talk about Monero's blockchain bloat, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit later on. And we're working on that. But, you know, that's a consequence of the fact that we don't expect that you should need to trust anybody. You know, whether or not you trust the people behind Zcash, you know, that's up to you. Do mm -hmm. I personally? Yes. But, you know, I don't expect that other people should trust my trust. It doesn't need to be transitive. Right. So I think from a research perspective, you know, it's, it's really neat doing research under constraints like that. You know, yeah. if we wanted to go ahead and sacrifice that trustless nature, you know, there's a lot of things that we could do right now or in the future that we can't do right now. But ideologically, that's just not something that we're going to do. Do you think um, Monero is currently the most censorship resistant of the coins of like compared to like a Zcash or a Bitcoin? Yeah, I think, def yeah, I think, I think so for sure. Um, and, you know, and that's, and that's a question that, you know, I, I get a lot from people is, you know, what happens if the government makes all of this illegal? And I keep right. asking them like, well, what does that mean? And what does that look like? You know, the, the fact that we decentralize everything as much as possible, you know, means that there's only so much you can do to censor a protocol over the internet. Right. So do you, do you kind of believe in this whole like one chain to win them all? Like, you know, Bitcoin is digital gold and I, you, so you mean, you mean, do I think that there will be, you know, one, you know, one digital asset eventually to, to just run? Yeah. Like one, one thing? yeah. One world money, one world chain that everything is branched no, off. Ab abso absolutely not. I view these, I view these things as, as tools, you know, you can view them as financial tools, although I'm sure there's a formal definition for that. Right. But you know, that'd be like saying, you know, you believe that like the hammer should be the one true tool for building things like no right. it depends what you want to do with it you know there's some things that a hammer is great for and there's some things that you'd never want a hammer for um, and so i think that i think that having having good solid well understood choices that solve different problems is very important in this space so where do you see monero eventually being in terms of its its use case um where it is now or something different than what it is today i mean right now it's kind of the, you know, the go-to privacy coin, I'd say it's the best form of digital cash. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, is, yeah, that, I, is that where it's going to be? I think, I think that's where it should, I think that is a good place for it to be. Um, I like the idea that, that, you know, we should, you know, I, I hate the word platform. I think platform means anything you want it to mean. Right. Um, but I, but I think, I think giving people the ability to build things on top of Monero in ways that are safe and well understood will give users a lot of other flexibility, a lot of other choice. Right. I think that we do, you know, kind of digital currency and digital cash or digital gold, whatever you want to call it. I think we do that very well. Um, there's some scaling things that we know are problematic. Some of them are inherent to any, you know, chain based system. Um, and some of them are kind of specific to us because of the way we do privacy. But I, I think I see different approaches to scaling being something that, that we can work on in the future to allow people to kind of build things on top of this. And I think that's perfect. You know, if we're, if we're, if we're a platform and I think that the, the best sense of the word that is by default private and safe i think it puts us in a great place for the future too yeah i mean i think the fact that it's baked into the base protocol layer uh the bottom layer is 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 crucial to what this stuff is as opposed to kind of like a bitcoin that's looking to add fungibility later um, yeah it's we should try to make it very hard to shoot yourself in the foot unless you're really into that and then you know but again you know it's it's, you know, people like to say, you know, Monero is, Monero is private by default. You know, we're optionally transparent. You know, you can, anyone can give away transaction information. That's fine. If you want to shoot yourself in the foot and you're really into that, go ahead. No one can stop you from doing that. But the point is right. that the, 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 the default solutions, the easy solutions should be the safe solutions. So what part of your, so you have a PhD in what exactly in? 
Oh, so I, so I, have, a, I have a master's in math, which is pretty theoretical math, um, and then a PhD in computational physics, which added kind of some okay. of the algorithm analysis design to it. Um, and then a lot of experience, you know, doing teaching um, and outreach in cryptography too, which I mean, I, cryptography at its core is just, it's applied algebra and number theory, basically. Right. And then I read something about materials as well. Yeah. 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 So a lot okay. of the work that was in material science, which has no relation to this, but you know, right. a lot of the, a lot of the same mathematical principles behind it. Um, you know, a lot of topology, graph theory, number theory that kind of works its way back into this is also very useful in the stuff that we do here. Mm -hmm. That's the, the weird thing about math, right? Is, you know, who knew that, you know, graph theory would be a really useful part of what we do. You know, I would not have predicted that, but it turns out it really is. So a lot of different areas in math kind of come and blossom here. So is this kind of like, you know, your dream come true in terms of like having something to work on that's going to have, I mean, obviously there's tons of things in math that have like tremendous real world effect, but uh, this is like very obvious, right? I mean, if you're creating, potentially creating uh, the new sound money of the future, is that something you ever imagined? It, no, it really isn't. <laughs> and I, I tell people I have got like the coolest job ever, you know, to, to say, here's, here's this, this big partially understood field that no one's really quite figured out what to do with. Go figure it out. Did you kind of have those libertarian thoughts or, or call it what you want, those thoughts about the way the money system currently works around the world well, before so you I even think, got into this? Well, I mean, I think there's different ways to look at it, right? You know, I, I think ideo ideologically, you know, we've seen that there are ways in which like the established financial and banking system can and does fail people. And some of them are just human factors, right? People do some pretty shoddy things with it. Um, but some of them are just purely technological, you know? Um, I mean, I always ask people like, you know, direct deposit, how long does it take to like, oh, I don't know, three days or something? Like, why is that? Right. <laughs> there's, there's really no good reason why it is, except, you know, an, an old system trying to kind of tack on technology at the end. Right. There's no reason, to, I, always, I would always joke with people who, when they complained about, you know, three days direct deposit, I'm like, man, they should move to some electronic system instead. Like, oh, it is an electronic system. Could have fooled me. <laughs> so, so, so I think even from a more practical standpoint, there's things that it's either really, really hard to do or impossible to do as inexpensively as they should be right. in, the, you know, in the traditional financial system. And there's no good reason for that. And then so like the, these more ethical things like, you know, the fact that the government can, you know, print its own money and essentially tax you by printing additional dollars. Are those things that like ruffle your feathers and keep you motivated or that's not even I, like I, mean, I don't the, I don't I don't pretend to be an economist in any way people always ask like why did the market do the thing it did I'm like I have no idea I don't pretend to understand the economics of money okay I, I, I pretend to understand the technology behind money and and what it can and could look like cool yeah that kind of I wanted to talk this at the end but I noticed you had um in your post, you referenced uh, a research paper on Bitcoin's, um, I guess, the mining reward and how it's going to, you know, one day end as, as opposed to Monero that has the tail emission. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on that paper? Um, do you think that is kind of a critical issue that Bitcoin may have and something that kind of is essential for Monero? I think, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with those as we go forward. And I, and I guess it's not really clear to me to what extent the fact that these are known issues going forward. It's not like this is going to be sprung on anyone, right? Like we, it's, the, the, the protocols for this are very well established. Bitcoin is going to do the following things with its block reward. 
um, you know, and its difficulty going forward. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the economies around that kind of adapt prior to those changeovers. And I don't really know what effect that's going to have on that eventual transition, whether or not it's going to mitigate it to some extent or whether, you know, just kind of some of the, the, the incentive models are just kind of kind of break down at that point. I think what we're doing is, is, a, is a good and correct way to, to handle, you know, the idea of the ideas behind inflation and deflation. Um, I, I, I like the approach that Monero takes to it. And I think that it's the one that's kind of hedging really well against what could happen in the future. Mm -hmm. We eventually, you know, those weird crossover points of Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems to more obviously be a way of continually securing the blockchain, right? I mean, mm -hmm. without any unknowns. Well, yeah, yeah, that's correct. And, you know, there, you know, basically like there always will be block rewards. Right. That's, that's, okay. a, that's a good thing. I, 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 yeah. So as far as like what's going to happen to Bitcoin and similar assets, I don't really know what's going to happen just because it, it seems like it's something that's not being talked about as much as I would have expected. And I think it's going to be talked about a lot as right. the time approaches. You know, I right. think, I think it's kind of like the class, you know, the old Y2K problem, right? Right. It wasn't a thing until all of a sudden it was absolutely a thing. And then, right. Everyone was talking about it as that kind of the time approached. I mean, well, going back to, you know, the economist's perspective versus the, you know, the, the technological perspective, I mean, I guess, you know, and from an economist perspective, it would be, able, well, it, it's great to have this capped asset that's more similar to gold as opposed to, you know, this continuous tail emission. Do you but, think at least, but at the very least, but at the very least, a well understood small tail emission. Yeah, no, I, I, so, I, 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 and, and I think I, a lot of I, it, yeah. I think a lot of it ends up coming down to kind of social contract, right? You know, right. could Bitcoin add such a thing? Well, yes, absolutely they could. Like protocol changes could be done. You right. know, it's, it's a clear violation of their social contract, which said this is the way that the protocol is going to emit coins over time. Right. And, and I kind of see gold more like that, actually, because, I mean, you're, we're always going to be pulling gold out of the ground or we're from ever for, you know, forever it's not like we're ever going to reach the point where we've mined all gold i mean it's it seems right based on the way the economics work yeah. you know um so who else is part of uh, the research lab and so we have we have a lot of people who kind of volunteer and hang out off in the irc channels and you know submit ideas and that we work with uh, we work with a lot of the development team to take some ideas that you know we have kind of mathematically or algorithmically i um, mean kind of end up working them back into the code base um, and as far as, as you know, kind of paid researchers go, um, there's me and then there's um, Saray Nother, who's Brandon Goodell is his name, um, who is also community funded as a full-time mathematician or researcher. So, you know, full-time, you could say that there's kind of officially, and I don't like the word officially, um, kind of two of us who, you know, are more accountable to the community because the community pays us to do what we do. Um, but there's a lot of people who we work with um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, so, wait, is that your real name then, too? What's with the Norther? The, uh, oh, the so no, no, no. That is that is not my real name. Oh, okay. So, yeah, is that, so, what is that a reference to? I don't know. Oh, so, so Norther is a reference to Emmy Norther, who is um, kind of one of the first major algebraists, um, and I would say one of the first prominent, at least that we know of, women in mathematics. Okay. So kind of as an homage to her, that's kind of the last name that we've typically adopted just for our pseudonyms. Very cool. Hold on, let me throw a light. I'm losing light over here. Hold yeah, I can tell. You're slowly disappearing. It's already getting earlier these days. Summer's over. 
Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. So what do you think about the Monero, you know, because like you said, you got the two of you are kind of the official researchers in terms of the fact that you're you're funded. What do you think of the Monero funding system versus other funding systems like Zcash? I know you were talking about a little bit already, the fact mm -hmm. that you know there's the Z Corporation and uh, Dash has kind of a unique funding system in that I think it's like 10% of the uh, the block reward goes towards uh, funding uh, development projects. Uh, yeah, so I, I like the I like the accountability aspect of it, and there's arguments that you could make about that related to other projects too. You know, I, th I think the way that Zcash put it, I think I remember reading sometime, is that you know if people don't like the whole you know founders reward idea, then you know they can just they can go elsewhere and then you know not use Zcash and then not support it in that way, and then maybe the price would end up reflecting that. I don't know. Um, I like the fact that we operate a bit more directly than that. You know, so I put in funding requests typically about three months at a time. And put out monthly reports. And if people end up, you know, deciding that they don't like what we're doing, they can just stop funding it, and then the funding immediately goes away. So there's kind of this direct response system. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, when we first started putting out the request to do full timers, some folks were kind of in opposition about the idea. It was kind of a new way of doing things because prior to that, we really hadn't done a whole lot of people running full time on on Monero related things. Mm -hmm. And you know, the response to that was, well, you know, you're free to not fund those things. And and I, I kind of like that. I think it's very much in line with kind of the direct community approach to things. About companies. No, 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 granted, I, I mean, I will say like it's there's always kind of the you know the looming thought in the back of your head about like ah the funding could go away you know at any minute, which right. technically is true. You know, it hasn't happened yet. Community support has been amazing and continues to be amazing. You know, we I don't expect that you know people will all of a sudden stop caring about the development and future of Monero, but you know. Right. It's an option, and so, you know that's that is technically a downside to the way that we operate. Um, so, but, yeah. but I think it's very much, but I think it is just very much in line with our ideology, and I like it when the way that we operate is in line with our ideology. Right. So yeah, like the cost benefit analysis is you know it's maintains it's we maintain our our true decentralized nature by using this uh, system versus mm -hmm. some of the efficiencies that may come along with uh, the approach that Zcash or Dash takes. But those, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, those they, efficiencies they have, aren't really worth, at the, in the end of the day, worth the, the well, centralization. Well, you know, and, and to, be, to be fair, you know, we probably can't scale, you know, our staffing, if you want to think about it like that, in the same way that mm -hmm. Zcash could. You know, they, they have a lot more money to deal with. They have probably a lot more predictable income that they can deal with. And that lets right. them lets them hire a lot of really talented people to do a lot of really good stuff. And we, we have never tested the limits of how many people we can hire. I don't right. want to test that. But they're not decent, but they're losing the decentralization. I mean, somebody can knock on their door and be like, Hey, Z Corp, you know, whatever it is, they could be influenced. They could be, there's, there's a reason why, uh, you know, we think decentralization is necessary for maintaining. Well, that's, and that's true. Business. And that's true. You know, if you if you operate under the auspices of a company, you probably have a lot more people to answer to than we do. Right. Well, I mean, we answer to the whole community, so maybe we're also answering to a lot of people. But I think we're answering to a lot more people in a more decentralized way, which is what we're after. Yeah. Well, I guess so. That's also leads to another question. One of the issues that had recently come up. Uh, what was the name of that bug? The uh, the double. Mm -hmm. The double spent, what were we calling it? Oh, the double counting bug. The double counting bug. And uh, yeah. not so much the bug, but I guess the way the bug was handled, which, you know, we, we did a show on that with uh, Morph Token because they were kind of one of the, you know, uh, 
the victims, I guess, of, of the decentralized mm-hmm. nature in that they, they felt like they weren't notified. So I guess now there's been talk of creating uh, like an alert system potentially for issues like this. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. If you thought that was something that was. Yeah, I mean, I like, I like the idea of doing better notification and things like that. I mean, you know, we have, we have a vulnerability response process and it's, it's well-documented. Uh, and I think that it's, that it's good that we have such a thing, you know, I mean, there's, there's always disagreement about exactly the way in which it's operated and, you know, how we end up doing things like bug bounty rewards. And that's always open for debate. Um, I think one thing that the project has, has often struggled with is kind of the decentralized nature of its marketing in marketing and its messaging, you know, and that we really don't have, you know, official channels for, for doing that in necessarily the way that other projects do. And so that does have consequences for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think if we can, I think if we can make that, I think if we can help those to mature in the way that I think the project is matured, I think that that will be a good thing going forward. You know, we want, we want, we want people to be able to trust the way that we do things. You know, we want to make sure that that is as mature as possible while maintaining the fact that we are so decentralized. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you have, do you have any other thoughts on uh, kind of things that can be done to, you know, add efficiency to this decentralized, uh, you know, project, like any tools that we could be using or ways we could be, are those things you think about or? To some extent, I mean, I'm not, I'm not on the team that does the vulnerability response process, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm not. That's, 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 that's a big weighty responsibility to handle for sure. And it's not really something the research lab kind of takes on necessarily. For sure. Um, but, but, but I think, but I think that definitely revisiting that and, you know, I think expanding upon the foundation that the vulnerability response process gives us, I think that is, that is a good way to do it. The exact tools to use for it, I'm not really sure. I, I haven't given that maybe as much thought as the people on that team otherwise have. So from a, from a research scientific standpoint, I mean, what, uh, is there any like irking questions, issues that kind of keep you up at night about Monero, things that you're maybe worried about or you think that really need more research uh, things that, you know, where you kind of like worst case scenarios are those. Well, not really, not really worst around. case scenarios so much, you know, the, the, there's, there's always kind of like the big things, you know, the whole, like this would take down cryptography forever kind of things, you know, the question of, right. you know, Quantum, you know, okay. well, right. Right. And a lot of it comes down to, you know, can you break, you know, the, can you break such and such cryptographic assumption? Um, and people say like, would that take down Monero? We're like, probably, but it would take down the entire internet. And right. Every yeah. like, all, all digital security and and to some extent you know it's kind of this mutually assured destruction thing right if it happens to us it happens to everybody um, and that's not something that we think is really even close to you know production level not even close right so yeah I, I think, think I think those kind of world ending scenarios like no you have a lot better uses for your time than than doing that I think I think the things that I tend to think about though are a lot more kind of insidious long term things that deal with scaling. You know, like blockchain bloat has been a thing for a long time. And, you know, to some extent, like you're, you're stuck with, you're stuck with the blockchain that you had and what you can really affect is kind of the growth rate going forward. And so minimizing the growth rate while keeping things efficient is important. And it's not just size too. a lot of it's time as well. You know, like when you, you pull down the chain, you do a certain amount of verification on the chain and you do verification on new transactions that come through, you have to make sure that that's efficient. So being able to do those, do that as efficiently as possible so that it's easy and safe for new nodes to come online is an important mm-hmm. scaling question. Mm-hmm. So I think those things are the things that I think about a lot more. 
Um, about, you know, like our new like our new release for bulletproofs like that was like that was kind of the big shiny example of like how we are truly addressing scaling as best we can since range proofs were kind of this big ugly thing that we had to kind of cart around forever and ever mm -hmm. um yeah about things like privacy and you know privacy and fungibility potentially <clears throat> kind of being reduced uh in the future or is that is that a concern as well um i mean i well Ring signatures are, I would say, like the big. I mean, if Monero has, you know, a, a weakest point, I think it certainly is ring signatures. You know, in the sense that our anonymity sets for senders are limited in ways that you know some other projects aren't necessarily. You know, like Zcash does not necessarily have the same um, anonymity set problems as we do because of the way that they do their math. Mm -hmm. And the fact that our ring signatures operate the way they do, you know, they do imply. Um, I mean, they do imply trade-offs. That's for sure. And I look forward to the day that we can get rid of them, but you know, they're, they're the best option that we have right now to do trustless anonymity sets. And I mean, to be fair, like ring signatures do exactly what they say on the box, right? It's like given this set of you know, possible outputs, one of them is the one that was sent in this transaction. If you can otherwise find ways to eliminate certain ones, well, yes, that does re you know, reduce your effective anonymity set. But you know, we have mitigations, like we're aware of the downsides of this and we have mitigations. There's mitigations involving blackballing um, and mitigations involving adjusting ring sizes. So we look forward to, you know, leaving them someday, but we understand that like they are the best that we have right now and we can, we can help our users to be safe with them. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Like what, it, what is blackballing? Sure. So, I mean, so here's a you're going to be researching or. Well, it's already kind of, a lot of this is in place already. So, mm -hmm. so I mean, if you kind of look way back to like the start of Monero, you know, back when we first started out, you know, ring, we didn't have a, a minimum ring size. So, you know, of course a ring, you know, a ring is basically how many, how many possible senders are there for your transaction? There's gotta be at least one, of course. Um, and right now we have a minimum of seven. So it's, you know, one of seven is gonna be the, uh, the actual sender. But kind of in the early days, you could choose to have a ring size of one if you wanted, which means like there is exactly one sender for this. So there's no, basically there's no anonymity there. Right. Um, and that was possible. Of course, what that means is that then you know that that one output, that transaction output, was spent. So if that occurs in any other later ring, you know that that's got to be a fake. So you've effectively reduced the anonymity size, set size of those future transactions. So you would want to kind of blackball that output just on the local, you know, on your in your local wallet. This isn't a thing that's like protocol wide or anything. This is just what you choose to do. Um, you should remove that from consideration if you're going to do a later transaction. Um, and there's there's things like that. So there's, there's there's other ways that rings could be constructed, very small sized rings, for example, that if you have enough of them, you could eventually determine that some of those outputs are spent. And if that happens, you'd want to blackball those two. You know, so this isn't blackballing in the in the sense of, you know, someone could get caught up in this and, you know, they would have funds unspendable. That's not how that works. This is just saying, you know, if mathematically you can show that some things in a ring aren't what they claim to be, you should be able to remove those. So it's kind of a belt and suspenders approach. And we have we're, we have blackball sets right now, um, so that's going to be included in. We have the sets right now, and you'll be able to include blackballs, um, blackball removal rather, in local transactions if you want to. So do you think that's something that like you know uh, apps should add, like the wallets should add into their functionality? Or no, it's kind of more of a higher level. So I think I think I think it's a good idea if you are very 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 cautious and concerned about such things. Um, the downside is generating blackball lists is, is very computationally intensive. I mean, we have at least one set of them that's being hosted by a trusted community member. But of course, that again, that's an element of trust. 
you're welcome to trust that person. Of course, you're welcome to generate these black ball lists on your own. It'll take some time, of course. Um, but, you know, but for the most part, a lot of this has to do with kind of early pre-ring CT, you know, pre-confidential transaction outputs. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, like it's not something that should keep anyone up at night, but you know, it's again, it's kind of a belt and suspenders approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, Monero really is just, it's, it's just in a constant state of, uh, evolution. I feel like where it's just trying to fight against, uh, you know, the, the powers that be that, that could have potentially, you know, break its, its privacy and fungibility. And uh, I, I guess the only way to do that is to constantly evolve. But do, do you see the, the basic architecture of Monero, the, you know, the ring signatures, confidential mm-hmm. transactions, stealth addresses? Um, do you see that as being, you know, an architecture that, that made sense and still makes sense today? Or was it kind of random? I mean, you know, you have other ways of doing this, which is like the Zcash method, but obviously that, that required uh, trust. Uh, and then you got things like Grin, but what the the architecture of Monero itself? Do you mm-hmm. think it's it's sound and and makes sense, or it's kind of a we arrived at it randomly and it was like oh, this if we stick these three things together, we end up with uh, a fungible private uh, currency. I, th- I think it really was more of looking at the aspects of a transaction that you want to be kept safe, and then looking at what the best cryptographic building blocks for doing that are. So, you know, stealth addresses for receiver anonymity, great idea, does exactly what we want it to do. You know, amount hiding, which we kind of saw, you know, we didn't really have before, you know, prior to the the ring CT deployment, you know, no one really knew how to do that. Adding that was a very good thing, you know, that helped us in untold ways. Um, And sender anonymity, that's kind of always been the big one, right? And that's the one that everyone always does differently. You know, zero coin and Zcash and zero cash, the underlying protocol, they choose to do it one way that involves a certain amount of trust. You know, other cryptographic mixers that have kind of their own downsides do it differently. Um, I think that ring signatures are, I think, still the best way to do it under the ideological limitations that Monero has. Like I said, like I look forward to the day when we can move past that to a more complete anonymity set. But right now, we just don't have the efficient technology to do it. So... Monero five years from now, 10 years from now, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be more private and fungible than ever. But do you think the architecture is still going to look the same or just going to kind of be unrecognizable to what it is today? Well, we have a few ideas, right? So there's, there, there, we're looking into ways to make ring signatures better. By better, I mean larger, but hopefully still as efficient as they are today. Because, you know, all of the things being equal, if you can increase the size of, of the ring that you use, that's good. It means you're hiding among a bigger anonymity set. You know, and any possible decreases in effective anonymity are going to be minimal if you have a huge ring. Um, but, you know, that's we that's kind of still under testing to see if there's good ways to do that. Um, but I, I think that eventually we will get to the point where more complete zero-knowledge systems will be efficient enough and trustless enough to be able to be deployed. Now, whether or not we can do that, you know, in a way that kind of neatly transitions our old existing outputs into the new system, you know, that's going to really depend on what the exact architecture is. You know, I think that there will, I think there will be ways to do it. And I think that we will, if we choose to do that, do it in a way that is safe and correct. And I personally look forward to that day whenever it gets here. You know, that's zero. I mean, zero, complete general zero knowledge systems are an area of very active research right now very active research. Good timing. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's by no means a solved problem, right? Right. And there's there's plenty of different ways to do it, and and none of them none of them do all the things that we need them to do. Right. Some of them do some of the things we need them to do. I mean, bulletproofs, for example, we use those. We're going to be deploying those out. Like that is that is a form of a zero knowledge proof system. We just happen yeah, to use it for a very specific thing. Let's let's jump into that. Let's jump into your your actual monthly report here. So oh, cool. The first thing was was what's that? Love bulletproofs. They're great. Okay. So I guess bulletproofs was kind of the the major uh, topic here for this month and for the past few months. So. Mm-hmm. So where are we at with that? I know there was there's some recent audits that yep. were, and I know yes, it indeed. looks like you guys you made progress on improving bulletproofs already on the method I guess that's used. Yeah, if you, so, if you could explain all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the idea behind it is right now you know like we hide transaction amounts cryptographically, so no one can tell how much your transaction is for. Um, but you have to accompany that with this proof, and the proof basically said like the number is a positive number that roughly speaking. And as far as transactions go, you had all your transaction stuff with the ring signature and blah, 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 whatnot. And then you had this gigantic proof. We didn't know how to do it efficiently. So transactions, you know, whatever, like 13 kilobytes or something, right? Like 12 kilobytes or something of that was this range proof. So like that is the thing that bloats the blockchain. If we can get that down, we're good. So talking about scaling, that's the thing that we wanted to hit. And then this research came out of Stanford um, and it was it was kind of still early days of the time that we were looking into that said, well, you can take that, you know, 12 kilobytes and you can shrink that down to like half a kilobyte ish. Mm-hmm. And the scaling gets really, really good. So we thought that's fantastic. Like that right there takes care of a lot of the scaling problems that we have. So if we can make it fast enough and efficient enough, we should absolutely deploy it. You know, a lot of things in a cryptographic system, you can't just like rip out and replace. But that's one thing you can absolutely just rip out and replace with a new thing. Um, So we actually did our development kind of alongside some of the authors because it was still very much in flux, um, kind of some of the underlying algorithms, you know, how to how to scale them really well, how to make them efficient, how to do all sorts of different proof stuff all at the same time. So we kind of did our development alongside that, which, you know, it's really neat. Very rarely do you get to do that. Um, And we kind of got to the point where we were happy with it. We sent it off to get externally audited by three different groups um, that came back with some, you know, some good suggestions, you know, a few little a few little things that we caught. Um, some ways to make it more efficient, kind of make it more bulletproof, so to speak. Um, and as we went along, we just kind of kept on tweaking and optimizing things to kind of suck as much speed as we could out of those. And we're definitely to the point now where they are, I think, about as fast as we can probably reasonably make them. Wow. And the size savings were always excellent. That was kind of the point of doing them. You know, and so I'm, they're, sorry, they're I'm sorry, just to, just to clarify. So the, the range proof, which mm-hmm. this is now replacing, is, was used for what component? So that was used for the confidential transactions uh, component that hid amounts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So is this kind of this auxiliary thing you needed to make sure that everything was done properly? And it was and big. That- and it was big. And frankly, it was it was slow before. And now it is both small and extremely fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have just based on the way that the the, the deployment schedule deployment schedule goes, um, where they're going to be extremely fast. You know, when we first deploy them, and we actually have some additional optimizations that we've done since then. Um, that'll be probably deployed out in the point release. Um, and that's going to make things even faster than before. So this is going to this is going to very, very much speed up the process, both for new and existing nodes, for new transactions that come along using bulletproofs. And what what 
reduction are we looking at? I think I've heard like 80% in, in size, transaction size. So at least, at least 80% in size, they scale wow. really well. So, you know, it scales with the number of outputs in a transaction. So for example, if you send funds to one person and you send some change to yourself, that's two outputs. Mm -hmm. You know, if you decide to kind of send to a lot of different people, like a pool might do, for example, you know, that actually scales a lot better. So you typically are going to see at least 80% size reduction uh, and it scales really, really well. So pool transactions are going to get even better than that. Um, and in terms of speed, speed depends. So, you know, you can, when new nodes come online, they have to take all these transactions and, you know, do verification on them. And previously they had to do all these proofs one by one by one, check all of them. And it was kind of slow. Now what you can do is you can kind of bunch them all together and just do one big operation all at once. And then bam, just verify them all at once. And for those kind of big batched verifications of bulletproofs, that part of it's going to be, we've clocked it around maybe 40 times faster, which is pretty crazy. That's amazing. So, I mean, that's a major breakthrough. And, and uh, you know, do you see any other major breakthroughs like that coming down the line in terms of something that's going to, you know, improve our scalability? Well, the nature, the nature of a major breakthrough is you typically don't see it coming, right? Right, right, right. But, uh, you, like, you, see, you see minor breakthroughs as kind of being natural evolutions I, of things. I guess, I guess my question would be, so, you know, the range proof was this obvious behemoth of a thing that was mm -hmm. inefficient mathematically in, in what yeah. it was trying to achieve. So are there other components that looking at them are seemingly inefficient and are probably, you know, there's room for improvement? And are there like any obvious ones that you guys are looking at to where there may be a breakthrough can be, can be made? Well, in terms of scaling, ring signatures are kind of the next big obvious thing. Um, because right now, you know, your transaction gets bigger with the more, you know, the bigger your anonymity set is, uh, you know, the bigger your transaction is. And that scaling right now kind of progresses really nicely and evenly as you'd expect. But, you know, it means that if we want to scale up to large ring sizes, which all other things being equal is generally a good idea. Um, then that's going to make transactions larger. So if we can find a way to scale those, that would be excellent. Unfortunately, there is not a nice, easy, clean way to kind of rip those out and replace them with something else just because they're so integral to the way that everything works in Monero. Like ring signatures are kind of the thing that everything's built on. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's less clear. There are some proposals out there to make that scale a lot better, um, but there are kind of some kind of some universal speed limits that you hit where you know they aren't going to scale to be as fast as you might necessarily want them to be mm -hmm. so we're working on it there's some good approaches kind of some nice iterative approaches in that area and we're going to keep looking at them i mean that's what we do right we look at them we test them out like i'm working on prototyping a scheme right now with some other researchers and you know we don't really have any info yet like we're not sure if the scaling is where we want it to be yet but now was there was there kind of any debate with bulletproofs like oh we may have this side effect it seems like it was just like kind of a no-brainer everybody was like no this is it was it was pretty it was pretty much a no-brainer. You know, it was the thing that we're doing right now is you know the thing everybody does, but it's it's kind of slow, it's kind of big, it's not really great. And bulletproofs basically kind of hit all of the things that we wanted to do. Right. Just because so it was yeah, it was it was neat being it was neat kind of being on the cutting edge of that and seeing other projects that are like, oh yeah, we're doing bulletproofs too. Right. It's interesting looking at some of them. Like I've looked at some of the code of, that other people have done for theirs and like it's word for word the same thing. So it's it's very clear that other people have kind of, you know, taken what we learned and just kind of yoinked it over to what they were doing. Is Bitcoin implementing this? Is it have um, anything? So they would, they would have to do a lot of architecture. Right? 
Um, no, because Bitcoin Bitcoin use... amounts Bitcoin amounts are in the clear. Right. Okay. Yeah. So they would there there have been ideas for doing confidential transactions. I mean, the way that we do confidential transactions to an extent was originally proposed as an extension and replacement for Bitcoin, mm -hmm. um, but it never really took off. And Bitcoin is kind of like the Titanic, right? Like it keeps kind of moving in the same direction because changing that would have a lot of implications for a lot of people. Right, right. So they're they're only looking to bulletproofs if they decide to adopt confidential transactions. Well, yeah, it's if your if your amounts are in the clear, you can look at them and say like these balance out the way you want. It's the fact that our amounts are hidden. You have to make sure that no funny business happened because you can't really peer inside those hidden amounts. Right. So we range, have yeah, prove yeah, it range, yep. yeah, because otherwise you could do weird things with like negative amounts, and you could do all sorts of weird crap with it. So range proofs make sure that there's no funny business. So the. Do you think this is something kind of unique to Monero? I mean, first Bitcoin in terms of like how we, we you know, we're adopting these new uh, technologies and methods without much debate in the community. I mean, you know, look at segregated witnesses, right? I mean, for Bitcoin versus yeah. bulletproofs for Monero. Is it just because it's, you know, because segregated witnesses? Well, I like, I like to think it's, I like to think it's because, you know, we, I like to think it's because we do a lot of our analysis and a lot of our discussion, pretty much all of it, you know, kind of wide out in the open for everyone to see. And I think the I think it's I think it's part of the nature of the community, right? You know, the idea of doing network upgrades every six months ish, I think kind of tells people coming in, like, you know, we have plans to make this incrementally better as we go along, you know, and this is the way that we do it, and we do it with input from everyone. And you know, if you really decide that that is something that you don't support. You know, we are an open source project. We're free to take code and move. You know, please don't fork the blockchain because that's not a safe thing to do. But you know, you're welcome to take the code and do with it as you want. And you know, please submit you know, you know, additional changes back to us, and we'll do the same. And I think that that works pretty well. So I, th I think what it says is that we're willing to willing to carefully but deliberately move forward. Mm -hmm. And that that was a good example. So do you think the the six month um, upgrades? You think that's something that's that's that we're going to be seeing for quite some time? I think upgrades we will. I think I think it's I think it's pretty well understood that you know eventually we'll probably try to stabilize as much as possible. And as we stabilize, there may be less need to do that. Um, but I think the idea that we have at least established that we do them is that that I think is the majority of it. Right? It says mm -hmm. that these things are non contentious. They're things that you know everyone is pretty much okay with. Eventually, if we go down to one year or two year, it'll depend on, you know, the rate at which the research ends up stabilizing. Right. So that'll always depend on what the state of the art is. Right. And the audits, is that something that like is done in Bitcoin land as well? Or is that kind of unique to Monero? So in terms of the audits. Yeah. So in terms of like the cryptographic asset space, a lot of it depends on like how many people you have working on your project. Right. You know, Monero, I would say, has far fewer people who kind of work you know, full time on doing that. Um, so it's it's good to get eyes on things, but it's also good to get external eyes on things. Um, I think that it has been it's something that's been done in the open source community, you know, increasingly. Um, and I know Zcash recently for their sapling upgrade, you know, they had a bunch of audits done as well. Um, and those, you know, also you know, good on them for doing the same thing. I think that overall, that is something that is going to be I don't want to say like demanded necessarily, but I think it's going to be more more or less expected. That that gets done, you know, and I don't think it says anything about the quality of the work. It just says that getting external eyes is a good thing, and there's a reason that that is done.
in the yeah. open source world. Yeah, I mean, like we said, all, all of this comes down to trust, right? So you're, you're trusting the you know the protocol and the math behind it. So I think yeah, it, it also it also says that you shouldn't get so high and mighty that you claim that your code is going to be bug free or optimized, you know, beyond all right. Because no code is bug free. No, no code, no code is no code is bug free. So, so jumping ahead, what is uh what is it a thring signature? Oh yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, Thring Signatures is the clever name that I came up with for the multi-signature scheme that actually Brandon has been working on for a lot longer than, um, did than you consider, I have. Did you consider Thong Signature? I did not. <laughs> I will still not consider that. <laughs> okay. That's just me. We had to get this out in a preprint journal. They might not have appreciated that. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. What, what is the name uh, derived from? Um, well, it's Threshold Ring Signature. So basically the idea is that, you know, we want to be able to do multi-signature stuff, which is, you know, you have multiple keys coming together to sign for a transaction. Um, and that's an important construction for a lot of other fundamentals that we want to do. And it's a lot easier to do in other non-private currencies. Um, but in Monero, it's a bit tough because everything that we do involving signatures has to play nicely with all the other stuff that we do. And ring signatures get kind of complicated. So it's, it's important that we be able to do that. And we have a scheme for it. And it's been formalized now and more formally analyzed. Um, and now it's kind of been put up for the community, uh, the broader cryptographic community to do analysis on too. So, um, you know, as a, from a user standpoint, what is this moving us towards effectively? Like what, what new features will uh, eventually so, evolve from this? So there's, there's some kind of more advanced user facing features that you could have. Um, like the idea of kind of like a multi-factor transaction is an option where you have multiple devices and you want to make sure that they all have to sign together for a transaction. For example, if you're worried about one of them being compromised, um, there's not a great user interface for doing that yet because there's a lot of back and forth stuff that has to happen kind of on, on the back end. Um, but it kind of lays the groundwork for being able to do it. And I think more importantly is it kind of opens, it opens a door toward things like, um, like kind of cross chain stuff and payment channels and other things that end up requiring multi-signature stuff for various reasons. So it's kind of a good building block that you need to have in place. And now we have a good one and we have one that's been analyzed and that's important. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in, and I'm sure a lot of people are the, you know, the cross chain atomic swaps is how far away are we from that? Do you think? I mean, I it's, 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 it's definitely, it's definitely something that is, that is in progress. You know, so you need you need fundamental building blocks for it. You know, for things like cross-chain stuff and payment channel, anything where you're kind of yoinking stuff off the chain, you need to have solid uh, multi-signature transactions, which we now have well analyzed. Um, you need to make need some form of refund transaction, which is tough to do in Monero right now because mm -hmm. how do you refund if you don't know where it came from? And that's something that we're also working on too. So we have a paper that that we've been working on on one approach to doing a non-interactive refund transaction. Um, there's a lot of subtleties involved with that. So it's not, it's by no means finished. So I think we, we have some ideas that we're kind of putting together and we're starting to, to kind of really formally analyze them as a whole. So do you so think we're, we're I, many, many years away from like a cross-chain atomic I, I, would, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say many years. Okay. I don't like putting timelines on this stuff. Sure, sure. Putting timelines on this stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we, have, we didn't have a lot of the building blocks before and now we have more of the building blocks. So it's gotcha. a matter of putting them together in a good way. We're making progress. We're, make, we're making progress. Like the, <laughs> the fact that, like a lot of it comes down to the fact that like Monero, we have this layer of obfuscation that is great for keeping stuff private, but it also complicates everything else that a lot of other assets find really easy to do. 
if you know where funds came from and where they're going and how much it is, your life is very simple. It is yeah. not private, but it is very simple. Makes it very easy for governments and corporations. That's uh, that's true. That's very true. So <laughs> the way the way that we do to things follow is, you around the internet. Yeah, the way we do things has consequences, but it also means that you know we we have some extra hurdles to jump through to make these things happen. Yep. So what do you see these cross-chain atomic swaps practically being used for? Like, what's the practical use case there? You know, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that they'd like something that is, you know, akin to what Shapeshift is doing right now. I mean, of course, Shapeshift just announced that they're kind of drastically changing the way that they operate. I'm assuming you've read that, the, yes. the membership yeah, model. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of showing the death of, uh, you know, those types of services, right? I mean, we need a... Uh, Gosh, I mean, I was... That was versions of that. Right. I mean, even just from a, even from a practical perspective, right. I would always tell people, oh, you know, once you're in the crypto space, it's really easy to move stuff around. You don't have to you know, go through any funny business with passports or anything. It's very straightforward. Just use Shapeshift or something. And I'm, I, I don't have a great answer for what I'm going to tell people now about if they want to move stuff around or how to do it, you know, yeah. being able to do it without an intermediary like that and without having to worry about, oh, are they going to just pull the rug out from the way that they do their non-membership model? What's going to happen? Yeah. So, I mean, especially for us, for Monero, it seems critical that we get to the point where we can uh, swap in and out of something like Bitcoin or without having to go through, you know, a trusted yeah, service. And, yeah. And, and there's all sorts of crazy stuff behind that, too. I mean, like the, the underlying elliptic curve that we use is not the same as the one that's used in Bitcoin and a lot of other ones. A lot of them use the same curve, which makes a lot of the math a lot more straightforward. Hmm. So, you know, there's, there's always consequences, right? And that's that's one of them. So, what coin do you think we'd most easily atomic swap with? Is that something that we are already thinking about, or no? Well, like anything that uses the same curve is going to be a lot, a little bit more straightforward. Um, okay. But but you know, we're but we're we're trying to find solutions that that let us operate without that restriction. That's that's the goal here, and that's that's kind of the current research is being able to do it safely without the restriction that we have on it right now. Did you see how Grin, which I thought didn't even exist yet. It's already doing uh, atomic swaps with Ethereum. I think I read some blurb about that and proceeded to not read anything else about that. I mean, Grin just sounds like the most amazing thing in the world, although it, like it, it doesn't even exist. But everybody's talking about it, like it's uh, you know. Well, you know, like it's, it's 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 a cool approach to doing confidential, like certain forms of confidential transaction. But you know, it's. There's all sorts of mixing stuff involved that isn't really in line with how we how we'd like to approach things. Yeah, do you have any thoughts on Grin overall, like what its potential shortcomings are? Or? I, not particularly. You know, I guess yeah. I mean there have been weaknesses in different mixing approaches that have been found, kind of theoretically, mm-hmm. prior to this. And I think it's I think the proof's going to be in the pudding for that. You know, I'd, I'd like to see how they actually go about it, and especially what the use cases end up being. Right. So anything involving mixing depends on use cases, right? where we try to avoid that by having our mixing be completely non-interactive. Right. Yeah, I'd like to eventually do a show just on that and maybe get some people that really know and understand Grin uh, just to kind of understand it. Because, I mean, it seems like almost like a too-good-to-be-true type of thing. And usually when things are too good to be true, they aren't true. (laughs) But we will see. Um, The other thing you talked about is using view keys, I guess, to prove balances. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, how that may lead to some uh, issues of leaking information, which I guess would uh, reduce privacy. 
Um, well, the way so the way that we do balance proofs right now does leak information. So it's so it's not really people. You know, there were there was a Reddit posting. Someone said, "Oh, what do you think about outgoing view keys?" Everyone was like, "No, this sounds terrible. Why would we do such a thing?" And I was like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hold the phone." Because right now the way it works is you have an incoming view key that you can share with someone, um, and then you can see transactions that come in, but you can't guarantee that you know transactions that are going out. That view key doesn't give any insight into that necessarily directly. Mm-hmm. Right now, if you basically, an, you know, if you're a nonprofit, for example, or for whatever reason you want to prove to an auditor the balance of a particular address that you control, right now the way you do it is you can provide your incoming U key, and then you can provide the corresponding key images for each one of those incoming transactions, which the auditor can then examine later on to see if they've been spent elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, doing that leaks information about those outputs, whether or not they're spent. And as we know from like blackballing approaches, if you know what outputs are spent, then that reduces effective anonymity elsewhere. So if you want to do it right now, there's not a great way to do it safely. All we want to know is, is there a better way to do that? Because there are legitimate use cases for people who might want to prove their balance elsewhere to somebody else. Like that's a practical use case for certain groups. And if they want to do that, then we need to have a way for them to do it safely. We don't know if there is such a great way, but you know, I'd like to know if there is and if we can deploy it safely preferably even kind of an off-chain approach. Yeah, so what, are there any initial thoughts then um, that are leading you get, you know, any any ideas so, of what may solve the problem? I, I'm looking, so I, I really like the idea of doing stuff off-chain because that means that, you know, if there's big data structures involved, that could be between individual parties that are interested in doing this. Um, I'm looking into approaches that use stuff called cryptographic accumulators um, the scaling and trust on those kind of varies in how they do it. I mean, accumulators, for example, are what uh, Zerocoin and Zcash use as part of their scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, those typically, if you want to do them efficiently, require trust. And maybe that's okay if you're doing an off-chain balance proving between you and an auditor. Maybe that kind of trust relationship is okay. Mm-hmm. But if there's a way to do that in a way that doesn't leak information about your outputs directly to the auditor, that's great. Mm-hmm. Whether or not we can find a scheme that does that efficiently, I have no idea yet. This is just super early thoughts on whether or not it can be done. So mm-hmm. it is done. It is it is done somewhat elsewhere. I mean, Zcash now has the capability in their new release to do outgoing uh, view key information. So we're interested in talking with them about how they do it to figure out if some of those constructions could be applied in a safe way to Monero. But you know, to kind of calm any fears like no one is interested in leaking any information to anybody if anything the way we do it now could leak information if you choose to do that we would just like there to be a way that doesn't do that do you know so are you familiar with the my monero app yes pretty familiar um they they basically take view keys right isn't that how they're they're working they have the view keys and do you know? Do you know how that that whole thing is working? It's basically yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't, yeah, and I don't want to speak for them, but yeah, I believe, okay. I believe, yeah. But being non-custodial, I believe, and I and I don't want to speak for them if if they do. Income yeah, we had the show with them, and I yeah, I don't want yeah, to be. Paul. I don't right, want to. Right. Yeah, I great. yeah, I, yeah. Sure. I haven't. I haven't used it to the extent that, that I could say definitively. But but okay. to be honest, like running an incoming view key, like that's like that doesn't leak information about the whether or not outputs are spent. And and in fact, like and in fact, like that is the use case for why the view key was introduced in the initial crypto note protocol. Mm-hmm. So, um, exactly that. I guess what what I wanted to get to was the 
the roadmap that you guys have for the research lab. Uh, you have quite a few things on there. Oh, you, uh, I feel like I feel like that's always kind of like out of date, and it's just more of like a what things would it be really cool if we could do? <laughs> so, what's like the immediate roadmap then, or you know, what's most on the uh, on the radar? So, the most recent things are like want to get bulletproofs out the door. Finally, I think we've hit a point where we're very satisfied with the way that that looks. Um, the uh, multi-signature scheme, that formal analysis has been done. You know, we'll probably get feedback from other cryptographers. Now it's, that's kind of been broadly posted to one of the big preprint archives. Um, the, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the approaches that we're thinking of taking to doing uh, refund transactions involves a signature scheme that we're kind of finishing up analysis of. And we'll kind of push that out the door to get some more feedback on. So kind of more building blocks toward things like payment channels if we, you know, kind of decide to move that way. Um, understanding a bit more about the whole outgoing view key thing. I think that's going to kind of be something in the back of our heads just as we move along. I think it's nothing that's necessarily uh, maybe not hugely essential to the protocol, but I think it's a useful feature that we'd like to add. So kind of learning more about what the state of the art is in that I think is going to be very helpful going forward. Oh gosh, what else? Um, we're interested in kind of coming up with some good best practices to the extent that we can for things like um, ring size as we move forward. Um, things like churn behavior, where if people are interested in kind of sending funds to themselves to kind of diffuse um, the way that their outputs look over time, want a good way to understand that. Mm -hmm. What else? Um, there's kind of some back-end generalization stuff that I'd like to look into on bulletproofs. Since bulletproofs, like I said, are technically a kind of general zero-knowledge proof system, and you can use them for a lot of different things. Um, nobody really is yet. We're using them for range proofs specifically. Um, but there's some generalizations and efficiencies that we want to that we want to look at before we could even consider moving anything, you know, more broadly to bulletproofs. Um, and kind of, and then finally, I think looking into um, some of these new uh, ring signature schemes that scale a little bit better, trying to determine if, in fact, they scale as well as we think they do from the box. Sounds good. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. So giant we, list, of, giant list of things. So can we? Uh... We could pretty much expect bulletproofs for the next, uh, you know, soft the upgrade. Is oh it, yeah, that's yeah, they're kind of a guarantee at this point. Yeah, they're they're in. They're they're on, they're basically like on the map to be thrown in when you know we flip the switch on them. Yep, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So you'll get great speed and size improvements. There'll be more speed improvements that'll be probably in a point release, just because something we didn't manage to get in in time to the deployment. Um, but the vast majority of the speed increases will be there. Awesome. So. That's great. How was uh, how was DefCon? Oh man, DefCon was crazy. I, I I didn't get to see pretty much any talks outside of the Monero Village because everything was really far away from everything else, and it was all really packed. And I think more importantly, I don't think anyone knew what to expect from this village because, I mean, I'd never done DefCon, so I wasn't really yeah. familiar with like how villages scale or anything. Um, and I know that we hadn't like Monero had never had a village there. Like the fact that they allowed a specific project to have a village was crazy. Um, and interestingly, so the day before everything started, the day before all the villages were actually open, we were just getting stuff set up and we just had the door open. And so everyone else was closed. So people just kept wandering in to say hello. So we ended up getting, I think, at least a few hundred people come in while we were setting up asking, oh, wow. oh what's going on here? We're like, nothing. We're not, we're not done setting up. But everyone we talked to was super interested in Monero and they either knew about it and were really happy with it or they didn't know about it and thought it was kind of cool. That was pretty much it. Hmm. Yeah, some of the talks we had to turn people away because the room, while small, still packed pretty full. 
That's awesome. Yeah, the the party. Uh, I think I read about the party in uh, one of the blogs. That was yeah. I think uh, Mashable Mashable, yeah. Mashable did a thing on the party. It had a picture of people partying. And... It sounded wild. Was it really that wild? And there were a lot of people there. Um, <laughs> apparently, some of the stuff that was happening there, I didn't see any of that. But <laughs> I, guess, I guess I'm not maybe as wild as that article made it sound like. But yeah. it was a uh, was a good party. Yeah, I regret not uh, not being there. Yeah, apparently it got shut down. I had to leave early because I was giving a talk the next day, but apparently it got shut down by Caesar's Palace. So you're either doing something very right or very wrong. That's amazing. Casino shuts you down. Yeah, so I, I hope they let us back again. I think that is I think that is the perfect perfect audience to reach there. You know, people who have kind of the hacker mentality and who can really get the idea of working together to build something. Yeah, it just kind of clicked with that audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, yeah, what do you think about that overall? I mean, uh, you know, Bitcoin was started by, you know, the cypherpunks, right? Or mm-hmm. uh, it seems like a lot of these guys, there's a lot of people that I feel like should be talking about Monero more and just aren't. You know, they, they talk about the ideals <laughs> of, of cryptocurrency and, you know, the censorship well, I, resistance and, uh, you know, I think there's still a misunderstanding about, about what guarantees those projects give. You know, I think Bitcoin was widely misunderstood for what it could offer you when it kind of first came about, right? Mm-hmm. It was assumed that, Oh, you don't operate with your name. You can change cryptographic keys whenever you want. Therefore you're anonymous. Now we know that like, that is not the case, but because we know that does not mean that everyone else knows that. Right. Um, and you have so many projects coming on saying that they're private and they have flashy websites and they have, you know, fun, crazy names like Wraith Protocol. And I think it's really hard for people to assess what those mean. And I don't blame anyone for not understanding that. Like anyone who claims that this stuff is simple and just needs good analogies, I think is lying. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is complex stuff. Um, but I think that it means that we have a lot of work to do in communicating that well to people who just see Bitcoin and think, oh, I know what that is. Or, you know, I read about Verge in the news or something. Mm-hmm. and might not otherwise know how to assess different projects for what they can really offer. Yeah, I mean, somebody, you, obviously, you know, Andreas Antonopoulos. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, just don't, I just don't understand why he's not naming Monero by name. I mean, I feel like he describes it all the time in terms of, you know, needing privacy in, on the base protocol li- layer, and he just ignores it. It's... It's, it's interesting to see because, you know, Bitcoin at first, when everyone thought that it was the private and, you know, the secret thing, it was like, oh, my God, it's only being used for illegal things and you're, you're a horrible person if you use it and whatnot. You know, right. and then people realized, oh, it's not that. It's, it's a fairly legitimate thing. I can buy it on Coinbase and pay with my bank account. And, and now I think, if anything, those who know about Monero, I think it's, it's kind of taken on that mantle, right? About like, oh, no, 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 that's not the private thing. Monero, that's the private thing. So therefore, that's the thing that if you do illegal things, you know, it's, I think if, if anything, like we maybe have more of the reputation that Bitcoin originally did. And maybe yeah. it's going to take more time before it's understood that, no, that doesn't mean that, that you're doing things wrong or, you know, that you're, you're someone to be, you know, there's something to be ashamed of. I think we'll eventually move past that too. I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think it'll get there. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I'm more interested in the fungibility than the privacy. I know they're both interrelated. Well, and, I, and I think, and I think, if anything, you know, I think we needed to be talking about fungibility more. You know, yeah. like I mean, privacy is definitely a part of that. 
Right. But I, mean, I think, that, but, but, but I think that that's a harder sell to people. You know, I think a lot of people might, might not understand like, well, why is that important to me? But mm-hmm. if you talk about fungibility, you know, once you explain what that actually means, because a lot of people don't know what that word means, but once you right. explain like what that means, I think that, that is the thing that we really want to get across. Right. You know, like that, that, if anything, I think is the property of things like cash and, you know, things like gold, that's the most useful, you know? And if you mm-hmm. talk about, if you talk about real use cases where fungibility is important, then you start to get it. You're like, oh, well, you know, if I'm a business, do I want to be making, you know, business purchases where, you know, my, you know, competitors are going to know what I bought and how much I paid for it? Well, you know, that's not good. Or, you mm-hmm. know, do I want to be paid in something like this if my salary, my salary might be public? Or do I want criminals to be able to trace what I'm doing? Well, mm-hmm. no, you don't. If you have fungibility, hopefully you can avoid all those things. Yeah. And so I, I have... Yeah, so I've definitely started using the word fungibility or, you know, the lessons behind it more, I think, than privacy and said, well, oh, and you also get to be private. And that's a very good thing. I think part of the problem with fungibility is a lot of people don't even know what that means. Right. I mean, it's not something that you're until recently that's been discussed in kind of like Mm -hmm. normal discussion. They're just like, oh, and it's fungible, but they they don't realize. Oh, and I don't don't try. I don't use the word fungible because like. Right, right, right. You you explain the concept. No one cares what that word is. Like I care about that word because I know what it is now. Right, right. Exactly. You try to to give use cases for it. Right. And say, oh, well, this offers you things that, you know, that that you, you should you should have and i mean i don't know like it's i think there's some people for whom that will just not be important right there's some people who use venmo and are perfectly fine having their full transaction details posted to the internet and right but the <laughs> it's like if those if those people really want that okay then you know monero is not going to be something that they're probably that interested in yeah but i mean but the way i look at that is you know if, if you we already have venmo it works really well you could send transactions instantly and basically for free to anyone anywhere in the world um if that's what bitcoin essentially becomes then what do you need it for the whole point is the censorship resistance and that's that only comes with privacy and fungibility yeah so, I mean, yeah, yeah i think that's yeah the way I, I mean, try to explain it. right and i think once we once we kind of clear some of those hurdles and i think some of the other innate hurdles in people's minds about things being slow and, and bulky i think we need to we need to get past that and we need to really address those too you know, like I've, I've shown people like a zero confirmation transaction and what that looks like. They're mm-hmm. like, my God, that is like, that's incredibly fast. You know, like I bought a t-shirt like that on the internet and it was great. Like I scanned a QR code and I like hit a little thing and then it was like, congratulations, a shirt will be shipped to you. I'm like, that's amazing. Everything should work like this. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, keep up the good work. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, this, this whole thing also with our show has just been great. Mm-hmm. It just proves how open source this community actually is. And anybody can just pick up and start working on something. And everybody in the community seems is just willing to kind of participate and work with you. And uh, it's been a great experience on my end. And, uh, yeah, thanks for just joining me today. Keep up the good work. I think the researchers are you know, one of the most important, if not the most important, uh, you know, elements of the Monero community. And uh, yeah, we'd love to continue to have you on. If we could do like a once a month thing, we don't have to do the whole, uh, now that we got the bio and everything out of the way, we could just jump right into the monthly report. If you, if you're down for that in the future, we'd love to continue to do, do that. Yeah. Some of the months are a little bit more boring. That's the way research yeah. works. I was like, yeah, we read a You'd lot of papers s- and we wrote a lot of code and it didn't really work. We're like, okay. You'd be surprised, man. People eat this stuff up. Everybody's looking 
you know, in Bitcoin, you know, you, there's there's so many of these resources. You, you go on YouTube mm -hmm. any time of the day, you're going to find people talking about Bitcoin. And, you know, people are putting their money into this stuff and they're really like getting addicted to it and they're, they're loving the technology and they just want to hear more and more about it. So mm -hmm. as boring as you may think it is, people people love hearing from you, you know, and, and other people in the community. I want to make sure we don't set the bar too high. I feel like bulletproof is a very high, very high bar that we've set for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, like yeah, this yeah. year you shortened transactions by 80% right. and made the right. range proofs 40 times faster. What are you going to do now? Yeah, that's true. Like, I don't know. Whoops. Like, give, us, give us time <laughs> to come up with new things that are groundbreaking, please. All right, man. But yeah. So yeah, otherwise we're we're always around. A lot of us are a lot of us frequent some of the subreddits. We're always on IRC doing work. Stuff happens on GitHub frequently. So yeah, people are always welcome to kind of come in, hang out, ask questions, learn more. Awesome. Yeah, I know you guys do. You're often on the uh, the Monero coffee chat show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do Monero coffee chat. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, we have a dedicated show. IRC channel for those who use IRC, Monero Research Lab. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping to get Justin on soon. Um, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I, absolutely. I love Monero yeah, coffee chat. Yeah, and Justin's done a lot of really good work on research into ring signatures too. So he's a really great resource for that. He's been, uh, he's kind of maintaining the black ball list that we talked about. Yes, yeah, I read he's, his uh, recent post on that. That was kind of my yeah, first yeah, introduction done, to Yeah, it. he's done some great work on, on ring signatures, blackballing, and a lot of other related things. So awesome. yeah, get him on, talk to him. That'd be great. All right, buddy. Thank you, and uh, hope to talk to you again in the future. Absolutely. All right. Talk to you All later. Right. So long.